Hi, everyone. Welcome to Reptile BS. Yes, he's finally learned the name of the show, Reptile BS. Hi, I'm Becky. I want to welcome you to tonight's show. We are going to be talking about incubation problems and techniques. Maternal incubation versus artificial incubation, and any other topics that come up from our callers. We are a group of friends from across the land that get together once a week to talk about reptile care and maintenance. Tonight, I want to welcome to the show Bill from BC Pythons. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, Bill. Can you hear me? How are you doing? Hey, yes, we can hear there you. There you fine. go. All right, you got good, 30 good, seconds yeah. to plug your stuff. Yeah, give a shout out to your show real quick to your channel, Bill. Okay, I'm Bill Perry. I'm with uh, BC Pythons. BC Pythons is me and my daughter, Bill and Chloe. Uh, we're uh, been a future breeder of ball pythons, and we build snake enclosure racks. We have a YouTube channel, BC Pythons, and also Instagram, BC Pythons. We're on Facebook as Bill Perry, and I have another page for BC Pythons. We do local reptile shows and regional. So we're okay, in Parkville, next. Indiana. That's it. Okay. Next, I want to welcome Marshall from Marshall Law Morph. Hey, Marshall. Hey, how guys. you doing? Oh, pretty good. How's everyone tonight? Good. We're doing great. Good, good. And Do you want to plug guess, yourself real quick? Yeah, yeah. You can find me on YouTube. I'm Marshall Plots, uh, YouTube Marshall Law Morphs. Also on Facebook and Instagram, both under uh, Marshall Law Morphs. Okay. Next, we want to welcome Jay from Boxing Boa. Hey. Hashtag Team Sexy here. Hope you guys are having a good evening. You can find me on Twitter at Carpets and Carpets Boas. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube under uh, Boxing Boa. And, you know, I do a lot. Carpets, bloods, leopard geckos, tarantulas, scorpions, and boas, of course. Okay, and I'm going to stay online just to listen, and I'm going to keep you on track with time and topic. The show's yours, guys. So... Today, well, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to introduce Andy from DEA Exotics. That's all okay. Everybody knows me. I don't need to be introduced for this show. I'm so sorry. It's our DEA Exotics on YouTube, DEA Exotics on, on Instagram. And You nailed it. You got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. You were good. We all know who all right. Andy is. How can you now not? I'm going to hand the show over to you guys. So uh, I think we should start off with, uh, like, uh, we'll start off with incubation first because it would be, you know, instead of things that we do with our eggs after they're in the incubator, but we'll start off with, like, maternal incubation. I'm going to ask Jay first what his opinions are on it. 
on maternal incubation. Go ahead, Jay, and then I'll work my way up to everybody, and everybody can give their opinions. All right, for me, um, well, why not start? I, I used to breed beer dragons and leopard, and leopard geckos and chameleons, so I've done a lot of non-maternal incubation. But when I got into carpets about seven years ago, I made a choice that I wanted to do nothing but maternal incubation, and I have accomplished that goal. Um, with doing research and talking to lots of experienced breeders, um, I found that, you know, through their trials and studies that they get more healthier clutches. Um, their carpet pythons tend to eat faster. And what I mean by eating faster, they, they turn to want to come on the food a little bit faster. Um, they seem to be a little bit more healthier. And, I mean, it does take a little bit more time to, you know, get the fill for the tonic basin because it, it can be very hard to do. It's very easy to do, but it's very hard to do as far as, like, making sure your cages are set up right, humidity set up right, so that way the eggs are, you know, not getting wet, but, yet still staying hydrated to where they're not dimpling too early, you know. But I definitely think it, it, there's a huge benefit, you know. Now, the cons to it, you know, obviously that female isn't necessarily going to be able to go, to, go for you the following year because it takes a lot of energy out of her. Um, and most breeders, the reason why they don't like to do maternal incubation is because they want to hurry up, get that female pace, get her back on food as fast as possible, and plug her back into the breeding program. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you do maternal incubation, and this is, you know, my opinion, um, it's more natural, you know, because the, the female knows what she's doing. She'll come on and off the eggs. She'll... If she thinks there's not enough moisture on there, she will urinate on the eggs to help raise the moisture. Um, she'll come out and get a drink. You can feed during maternal incubation. You know, I mean, it's just much more natural. Rather than hurrying up, pulling eggs, throwing them in an artificial incubator so you can hurry up and get that female ready for next year because that's what's more important. You know, and that's what I feel why people are so hopped up on you know, not when they're saying so naturally because they're more hopped up on breeding than what actually is beneficial in natural life cycle. I I have to agree with you on that because they um they tend to uh uh they, they it's like they know what the temperature needs to be exactly and they adjust it as they're going. You yeah. know, because they can do that. No, I do uh, Marsh, when I oh, do do the maternal incubation, I'm sorry, I do want to say this, okay? With my carpet pythons. I do keep the temperature. They, I do put the nest box on the heat side, but I keep that 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 nest box at about 87.5 degrees, no more than 88 degrees for me. And that if you do not have your setup right, you will cook your eggs just like in a real incubator. You know, so you got to really make sure your setup is on point before you try maternal incubation. Now, when I've seen people do it, I've, I've watched a lot of people do it. Um, they don't even put a nesting box in there. The, the, the female will lay the eggs where she wants them at, and that kind of controls the temperature to a point. Yes. Um, they don't. Most no nest carpet box. python breeders will put a nest box in there. Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of ball python breeders don't, and. Uh, I see people use newspaper. I've seen people use. I use. Uh, I usually use um, for for my nest box, um, and it really helps with the humidity. Um, is I use uh, Eco Earth, and then I use sphagnum moss. 
and I mix that all around. So, uh, Marsha, what's your opinion? Oh, well, that that I guess that was one of the questions I had, uh, Jay, with with your nest box. What is what does that mainly consist of? You said the eagle earth and sphagnum, and then is it is it just like another tub that you're using? Yeah, I just what I do is I take a regular tub and um, I cut a hole in the top so she can come in and out. You know, and I put some ventilation holes on the side, and I mean, it's so much easier because the air the airflow is already there, and your temperatures are literally, you know, you just just leave them alone. And what I do, you know, to help with the 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 humidity is once a day I will spray the sphagnum moss down, um, not soaking, but moisten it, and and I do that once a day for the first couple weeks, and then I go to you know. And you just have to pay attention to what, you know, the eggs are telling you. You know, if they're dipping in too soon, they need more humidity. If they're staying full, then, you know, you can go to every other day. You just got to play around with the humidity as you go along. Okay. Yeah, I I guess that was my biggest thing because, you know, I I agree with you on, you know, doing it the, the natural way and the way that, the mother intends it to be. Um, I get. I was really looking forward to this all week because one of the questions: What is? How is your success rate with the eggs then versus uh, uh, incubation in 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 an incubator? Um, when I um, I haven't incubated my carpet python eggs, so I I, I don't want to sit there and say my success rate on that, but my success rate. With my baby carpet pythons, is um, the last year's clutch, for example, I had uh, 15 eggs, and all but one didn't make it. And I'll tell you right now, the one that didn't make it, I could tell it was going bad, plus one slug, which I did not pull. The female did eventually kick it out herself. She right. did eventually kick that egg out herself. But um, the one egg that went bad, I just left alone. I didn't put no foot powder on it or nothing like that. I didn't try to peel it off. And the baby that was under it hatched out perfectly fine. I left the, it alone. And that's what I do. I'm not, you know, everybody does their own thing when it comes to maternal incubation, but that's what I do. I'm not saying that I'm right or I'm wrong, you know, right. but that's what I do. When the egg went bad, I just left it. If, if you guys want good, if you guys want another, a guy who's got YouTube channel, Critter Cam, Peter Birch, Critter Cam YouTube channel. He does. Yes, he does. Yeah. He's got a half of his. He, he'll do a whole room of um, hatchlings, uh, not well breeding, and he'll take half of the moms and let them maternal incubate, and then he does the other half in uh, artificial incubation, and then he compares the results. He really does a good job at it. So if you wanted to see anything on it, I mean, there's a perfect channel to go to uh, watch it. Um, yeah, Bill, and, what's and your he's a great guy oh. to talk to? Oh yeah, Bill. Yeah. What's your opinion? Oh on that? yeah. Hey, uh, I have been researching this for a year now. Um, you know, because I'm I'm a first time snake dad. Hopefully, <laughs> as soon as she lays. <laughs> um, so I've been doing all the pros and cons of both, and you know, I'm yeah, I'm real. You know, nature I think would be great with that, but unfortunately, I only have ball pythons. And ball pythons are not 
notorious for being bad parents. And really? the thing I've read, the mothers would like roll the eggs out and they're clumsy. And that's everything I've read. And uh, some stuff in the wild, too. So that kind of lead me towards more, you know, sticking with what I see everybody, all the big breeders doing with the incubators. So I don't know if you guys seen uh, Kabelka's set up. His is basically a big closet. I can't wait till he shows a video about how they did that. So, but um, that's just what I've been learning. Now, now, see, that brings a good point, Bill. If I, uh, if you have a clutch that has some eggs in it that are uh, worth buku bucks, you know, like something special or like a first time right. type of thing, I could see the point mm-hmm. of definitely making sure you didn't let the mother take care of it. Because if she did roll them over or something, you know, it could be disastrous. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Gavin did a video on that too, and he brought that up about the the parent parenting skills of ball pythons. So oh, that's, see, I didn't, that's my well, that's my opinion on it. It's kind of interesting that you do mention that. Um, I only have one experience as far as um, of a guy that I, a, a friend of a friend of a friend that I know, but uh, <laughs> he he wasn't uh, he wasn't expecting a clutch, and I want to say that this happened over the winter. Um, he wasn't expecting the clutch. And lo and behold, he opens up a tub one day and, and here's a female sitting on a clutch of eggs and no incubator ready. So he was going to leave the mother on the eggs. And And he said that every day he went on there for the first week, he would open the tub and there'd be two, two eggs kicked out. And then he'd come back the next day. And one egg's kicked out in the third day. And as as she's kicking them out, he took each right. egg and put them into the incubator as as she was kicking them out. That, right. That's kind of kind of interesting. You said about them being, you know, clumsy. clumsy. And, yeah. Right. Well, and that is a risk you take of maternal incubating different snakes. And, I mean, anytime you maternal incubate, especially in captivity, you should always have an incubator as a backup, you right. know, in case the mother doesn't want to do it or in case they do get kicked out, you have the incubator ready to go. Yeah, and from what I've seen, boas are a lot better parents. <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah they don't. They, they do don't it maternal, all internally. They maternal incubate. Yeah, they just yeah. pass out live. <laughs> there's no, there's no artificial incubation with a boa. I mean, the kind of yeah. python, the other python. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to worry about it. So you know. Sorry, guys. If you heard that noise, our dog was kind of trying to run around in the room. <laughs> um. So um, now. With incubation, there could be trouble, like you can get mold or fungus or something like that. Now, what, what do you guys do for, like, fungus and stuff? I, I've done foot powder before, and it actually worked. And uh, sometimes I've done foot powder, and it didn't save the the egg with the um, fungus on it, but it sure prevented the other eggs from getting it. Go yeah. Ahead, Jay, what's um, your opinion? Or, Marshall, go ahead. I, 
yeah, that's that's all all I've been doing. I had I had a, the last clutch that I had um, started developing mold on it, and I just I just use a regular Desinex foot powder. But I do know that you do want to be careful because using too much of the powder, you know, those, those eggs are still, for lack of a better word, they're still breathing. Yeah. So when you you have to be careful not to use too much of it because you can essentially choke out the egg if you're yeah. if you if you're just going and dumping powder on it. Or what I like to do is I just take I've got a little paintbrush. And I I pour the de- the the foot powder into a little little dish, and I'll basically just dab it on with with a paintbrush, and that that's what's been working for me. Yeah, that's a uh... oh yeah I I agree. Now for me, um, I never bread ball pythons. Um, it's just the carpets that I do snakes that have eggs. And I decided when I just when I decided to breed my carpets and stuff, you know, if there are any eggs that I do have to incubate, if I have my incubator set up and I see an egg going bad, that it just wasn't meant to be a baby. So I will I've decided that if I have that, I will pull that egg. I will not try to save it. Um, oh, you don't I understand why a lot of breeders do will and do because they got you know their clutches are you know, highly important, and, and especially when you're working with a ball python, that, you know, a big clutch for a ball python is eight to nine eggs, you know, but the average is four to six, you know, so I understand the need to want to save every single egg, but as a carpet python like much larger clutches, right. it, you know, to me, I just, I think that obviously then that baby wasn't meant to be a baby, um, so I'm not going to try and save that egg, but that's just my personal opinion on it but i do understand the coin uh you know, the flip side of that of why people do try to save especially ball python eggs it they're they're uh, they come in such a short commodity you want to do everything you can to save them right but on the flip side of that jay there's not a whole lot of people that are breeding carpet pythons right um so, there's, there's not a, not near as many as um Ball pythons, no, but they're they're gaining in popularity. I see more and more people breeding now. Right, right. But I do know carpet python breeders that have done the foot powder to save an egg, and I have no problem with that. It's just I just look at it as nature is going to tell me who's going to survive and who isn't. You yeah, know, and that's that's kind of what I go on. You know, it's I let nature tell me what's going to go and what isn't, but that's isn't right for everybody don't get me wrong that that is not going to work for everybody especially like you when you're talking about ball pythons or or bill or somebody like that where every egg is just so precious because they're so few right that that leads into like uh uh like projects and stuff that people do with ball pythons i mean if you only got like four eggs you're definitely going to want to do everything you can to make all four eggs survive (laughs) incubation because one egg could be that egg that you're like, oh man, that was the one that was probably what I was shooting for, or something, you know. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. What would you yeah. do, uh, Bill? Would you try to save them, or would you just let? Would you pull? Um, you're talking about if it had mold or something on it. Is that what you're? Yeah. You were discussing. I, I'm 
I'm a rookie with the whole uh, egg thing, so I'm I'm learning. I'm enjoying every bit of this and seeing what you guys do. Uh, well, I'm, what I'm, my I question say, is, what would you do if it happened to you? I wouldn't say there was no right or wrong in that. If I had that situation, you know, I would probably do some more digging on it and see what most people do. If they try the foot powder thing, hey, I may do it because, you know, probably going to have – you know, six, I'm figuring about six eggs with my clutch, you know, and that's a small number. So if one of them happens to be odd or something, I'm going to do everything I can to research it and reach out to, you know, breeders like Ed and Andy and yourself and see what you think um, I should do, you know, if it's got a funny spot on it or something. So um, I would try to save it. One thing I've learned, though, with incubating eggs, if the egg begins to sweat, it's over. I don't know if any of you guys have ever had success with an egg that begins to sweat out, but the minute they start sweating out, you can forget it. That egg is just not going to make it. That's just my opinion. I don't know if you guys have had had any eggs ever start sweating. You know, (laughs) you could have, like, five eggs in a row and one in the middle starts sweating and that's the one that's going to not make it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I personally never had an egg go that way for me, but yeah, I've, I've kind of heard that consensus as well. It's like, eh. but keep an eye on it, but you know, might want to move on with that one, but yeah, usually an egg that sweats is done for. Yeah, and another thing that – go ahead, Bill. Go ahead, Bill. I was going to ask about why we were talking about eggs there, what was on my mind there for a second. Um, the clumping as opposed to – I see some people that pull them apart and other people that leave it together. I know if you've gotten to the clutch a day late or something that they're obviously stuck together and it's better off to leave them that way, but what do you guys recommend? Well, here's my opinion on it. If you can pull them apart, I'd pull them apart. Only because of one thing. Let's say you have a pile of eggs there, and the one on the very top starts sweating. Not just growing fungus, but starts to sweat. If it starts to sweat, well, I call it sweating anywhere. It starts dripping out the sides. It could wreck that entire clutch. Right. I see people who do that will take and lift up that clutch and cut that egg off if it starts sweating. Now, we'll cut get scissors. Literally drain that egg and cut it off so it doesn't affect. Now, the are you talking egg. about it when the the egg starts to leak their ambiotic fluids? The no, embryo starts to leak. No, no. Have you ever seen like, let's say you go and work out at a gym and how the sweat starts coming out your pores? That's what an yes. egg will. An egg, some eggs will do that sometimes. They will start. I've I've hatched thousands of eggs over the years, and every once in a while, you'll get one that'll just start sweating. It'll still grow, but it'll start okay, sweating. Okay, I just want to make sure you're talking about that or if you were also implying about, because sometimes when eggs are, are, are hatched or laid, they're thin, and they'll have actually, they'll actually be leaking some, you know, ambiotic fluid, which you can fix. That is a safe but if you're But when you're talking about yes. sweating, sweating, they're done. No, I'm talking. Your, your, no, your eggs yeah. are done. Your egg is done. That egg is done once it starts sweating. Yeah, if it starts leaking fluid, you just find where it's leaking. The ambiotic fluid, you can either use um, uh, liquid Band-Aid or Elmer's glue and stuff like that. (laughs) I know liquid Band-Aid works great. I've seen people rip an egg really bad when they were pulling them apart, rip it, and then liquid, liquid glue it. 
I'm mean, not liquid glue, yeah. but liquid band-aid it over the crack where they cut a hole in it. They put liquid band-aid on it. And uh, that works just as well. I wouldn't use anything but liquid band-aid or Elmer's glue. Anything else probably leaked off chemicals would kill the egg. Yes, I've seen somebody I was talking about this week. Somebody I uh, I know tried liquid cement. <laughs> you know, they, they poisoned their entire clutch because of the fumes. And then they know what went wrong. And then it's like, well, what did you do? He's like, well, I had an egg that, you know, was really thin. And I saw Gavin's video about Elmer's, you know, yeah. using glue. He goes, well, the only glue I had was cement glue. You know, it's like, oh. So make sure if you do glue your eggs, you save it. You use oh Elmer's glue or, or liquid Band-Aid. I know better yeah, than that. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd be amazed what people will do because they think, oh, well, this glue is okay and that glue So obviously this will be okay, you know, so – Make sure you stay away from that type of glue, any fumes, because yeah. like eggs, talking about, okay. eggs do breathe, you know, they have to have well, air. And Yeah, you couldn't paint the whole. Say, can we, I was going to say, can we, can we all just agree that if, if, if you can get high off of it, don't get it near your eggs. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't break out your model glue from your yeah, model that you're building. No, no. no. And, you know, with Elmer's glue, you couldn't you couldn't paint the whole egg with Elmer's glue either because then it wouldn't breathe. You know, just like with like right, a bandaid, right. you couldn't. You know, it would just have to be the where the hole's at, and that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one so, thing I wanted to ask you guys about eggs, you know, you know, and incubation is, you know, things like that is. You know, something I don't hear people often talk about is they always talk about, well, you got to have, you know, the females always got to be up to size. The females got to be mature. But, you know, one thing I'd like to see push more when it comes to just breeding and getting eggs is, you know, when you're talking about phenotypes, you know, it's not just about the, the color genetic, the, the, the wild type, the morph. You know, phenotypes also go into nutrition and health status. And if your female is not a healthy female, she's got a respiratory infection or she's having other issues, it's going to be passed along to her offspring. And you're going to have a bad age, bad clutch. Uh, you might even have unhealthy babies born. So I think, you know, there also needs to be more pushing towards making sure you're giving your snake quality food, not not junk food, not, you know, make sure your, your snake is very healthy nutrition-wise. And that means... When I'm not, I'm not just saying that. When I say nutrition, I mean you got to make sure them rats are eating good food because what you put in your food will go into your snakes. And, if, and, and a lot of people don't think about that. Yeah, you know, uh, um, and I learned that from my breeding panther chameleons and bearded dragons. You know, I mean it's it is vital to make sure you're giving them the right food and the right nutrition, or you're all that time wasted. Is it's not worth it. My opinion is exactly right. You you got to know. You can look at rats like and know if they're healthy rats or not. When somebody gives you like a bag of frozen rats or something, uh, that's why I avoid certain. Like if I, that's why one reason I started breeding my own rats because I know what's going into them. So I know what's going into my animals, into my snakes. You go buy them from one of these bigger breeders, these big rat breeders out there. I'm not going to mention any names. But there's only a few that I would ever use, and one of them was a big one. And every time I got the rats, they were nasty looking. I was, like, upset, so I changed those guys. But uh, another thing I would like to touch on is um, 
get your guys' opinion on size versus age when it comes to uh, breeding. I don't know right. if, if you guys agree with that or not, because a lot of people say 1,500 grams for a female ball python, 1,500 grams for a female ball python. But in the wild, they're not waiting until they're 1,500 grams for one, but it also takes them years to even get to 1,000 grams because they're not eating like they do in captivity. Right. What's your right. opinion on that, Marshall? Oh, it, it, I think you're uh, it's nail right on the head there. Um, you know, I I I definitely favor maturity over oversize for sure. Um, but then there's also something I remember hearing uh, Gavin on 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 YouTube is, you know, you got to listen to what you you got to pay attention to what your snakes are telling you. Um, I think. One the 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 female that I had just lay a clutch I think is a prime example of that. Um, when I started pairing her, she was at she was at thirteen hundred grams, you know. And they and they always tell you wait till they're fifteen hundred grams, wait till they're fifteen hundred grams. Well, this this female, I mean, she had all kinds of girth to her. She had all kinds of good size to her. I have a comparable female that that was around the same age and weight as her, but when I look at her, she was long and slender. I chose not to start pairing her, and I started pairing the pastel yellow belly. And with her, I mean, as soon as I put <laughs> – as soon as I put a male in with her for the very first time, it was like, it was like a damn machine gun going off. She had her tail up in the air and he, she was banging her tail against the side of the tub. And, you know, so I was like, yeah, I think, I think she's ready to go, you know? So I think age is more important and just paying attention to your females and what they what they're telling you is the two main important things in my, in my opinion. Yeah. We got a caller, but remember guys, uh, I don't know who this caller is and we're going to find out if they have any questions or not. All right. Uh, Hi, welcome uh, to Jimmy our with... Hey, what's going on? It's Jimmy with Python Borough. Oh, Hey. Oh, how you doing? Oh, how what's you doing? Up? Good. I missed the last one, but um, I wanted to to jump in. You guys were on the sure. the um, subject with the rats and how healthy they are. Um, yeah. Normally, when I uh, euthanize mine, um, I will feed them like a bunch of like organic carrots, spinach, and all kinds of vegetables. So that's in their system as they're euthanized and then froze. So. Um, I think that that uh, makes it a big difference also. Oh, yeah. That does... Yes, I agree. Thank so they're getting a lot of vitamins that. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So in, in, in one time when I set off a, a bunch of rats, um, I walked away for a little while, a few hours. In a few hours, their poop had already started becoming orange, so they were already starting to get that in their system and everything. So, I mean, they're they're getting everything, and the snake's going to digest and absorb all that. Yeah. You know, that, that makes sense due to the fact that in the wild, um, rats are eating grains and stuff like that all the time. 
It's not like uh-huh. they're eating pure like protein or nothing. They're eating a variety yeah. of things. So when a snake eats it, they ingest that anyway. That does. That is a good point. Yep. And uh, I feed like a high quality rat food, you know, Missouri. And um, I'm always feeding them vegetables and fruits that are all organic. You know, I try to stay away from anything that's not organic just to be on the safe side. But yeah, because you don't want no pesticides or nothing in it. Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. That does, yeah, and, and I thank you for doing that. And that's like when, you know, what you're saying there is, it. that reminds me of what the reptilinks do. Because when you get, if you ever had reptilinks, they actually put that type of food in with the meat and they grind it up. And right. They, you know, and that's what I like about that. And that's what I like about what you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> and I actually got that uh, ASF, uh, the urine from them. I think I posted a video, man, that thing where that stuff works great um, for finicky eaters, for ball pythons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what's your uh, – we got another caller here, so I'm going to find out who it is. Okay, guys? So everybody just stay here for a second. Hold on. Yep. All right. That was just excellent. That was an excellent. I'm glad you – Oh, you're not. I'm so thankful. Uh, caller 918. How are you, sir? Good. How about yourself? How do you feel about my thang in your mouth? Uh, yeah. So you got to watch that because that's kind of. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what? you know what? He did it. He told me to go. How would I feel about my thing, your thing in my mouth? Um, honestly, it, it really depends on what mood I'm in, buddy. <laughs> I have to apologize. You know, hey. I was trying to warn you guys. I was going to warn you guys that that you know sometimes that happens, but I don't know who that was. That was hilarious. So I had to. I had to <laughs> hey, that's why it's reptile BS. <laughs> yeah. And I just have to put it out there. I want to thank Jay from Boxing Boa. One night we sat on the phone for a while talking about names and all, and he's the one that helped come up with the new name for our show. So oh, thank yeah. you, Jay. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, so, you guys so, know uh, I'm a person. Now I'm all blushing. Now you're okay. <laughs> I did my job. Uh, uh, Python Burrow, I got a question for you real quick. What's what that? is your opinion on the maternal incubation versus the artificial incubation? Uh you know, I, I've never really did the maternal, but I mean, if it works, I mean, it works. I mean, I see um, there's a guy, I can't remember what channel it is. Peter Burke. Um, um, I don't remember if that's his name or not, but he okay. posts, I don't know if you pay attention to uh, like uh, Morph Market, he'll post, he does a lot of tri-stripe stuff and he posts some like weird prices. He apparently has a lot of success with it. Um, I don't know if I could, you know, do it because I feel that the incubator is a lot more controlled, but I mean, they do this in the wild. I mean, they do this to survive. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I'm more of a, a a person that tries to uh, play it safe than uh, gamble for the most part. Um, yeah, you're like I'm me. Like, I do the same not, thing. So, 
<laughs> yeah, right. I like to use technology whenever we can. That's you know, that makes it safer for the eggs and you know. But if yeah, are right. and doing it. Right. And the, 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 the cons we... to... Yeah, go ahead. Can we bring up the incubators themselves? I would love to talk about those. Oh yeah. Is that going to yeah, be I, the next I... topic or? I agree. Yeah, and, and there are the one of the cons to doing maternal incubation, like I said, is a setup. It, it, it is much harder to get your humidity right with maternal incubation than it is in right. incubator. Right. Okay, guys, um, um, I just want to take a minute and welcome KB Python to the show. Hey guys, how are you oh, doing? Hey, KB. Hey, pretty good. How about yourself? Not too bad, guys. Sorry for jumping a little bit late here, but I uh, hope oh, I haven't missed too much. No, no, not much. No, you just missed a perverted call. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> what well, well, I got to say, well, with the, well, the incubators themselves, I, I think uh, Bill is talking about the type of incubator. Now, the one right. he's got, I got the same exact incubator. Um Sir, uh, Spartan reptiles had it, and I mean, there's a uh, and Serpent's Cave had the exact same one, and they all did the exact same thing halfway through the incubation or like for a short time, a couple weeks, and bammo, they're done. They go, they cool down, and they stop working. Is that oh, what that, you wanted that, to talk it, about? It. Yeah, yeah, that. I mean, just Bill. see what everybody else is uh, using for incubators. You know, you don't have to per se say the names or what. You know, just That's start why using I'm not wine coolers, using coolers. Um, me personally, since this episode happened, this incubator ran great for two months. I've been sitting here letting this thing run, and now I'm getting down to you know a couple weeks away, and she's ready to lay, and now I'm hurrying up and building me a. A cooler setup, just like to reach out reptiles, which is the same. So that's the same thing that Marshall uses. Yep, yep. And that's what I that's what I have set up as a backup too. Yeah, exactly. That has been around. That that setup has been around for thirty years or more, maybe even longer than that. That's what they used to do. They used to do that before. Thirty-something years ago, when I was started this, they were using them before they used like a refrigerator or something. I used a refrigerator because I find it easier to build that. But now that I got this other building over here next door, I plan to. Uh, I, I would love to build an incubator like that because it's it would be easier to run. I think you don't have to worry about as much. You know, does it more evenly? Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and that's and why I really depends a lot of good. There are a lot of good incubators out there, but the incubator you guys are talking about, I mean, for a hundred, they usually run around one hundred fifty to one hundred seventy dollars. And those incubators, and and I will go ahead, they're they're the exotherium incubators. They're absolutely garbage. If you have it, you need to watch Spartan Reptiles video on how to fix it before you have an issue with it. Yeah. Because they all yeah. fail, and it's not mm-hmm. worth. All the hard work that you put into that animal and that that animal put into creating these eggs for you to waste on a cheap incubator like that. It's just yeah. not worth it. Oh, yeah. I, I 100% exactly. agree because you can, you can peruse through all the uh, social media comments or the, you, you, you know, uh, the review comments on it, and it, for every 
every one person that loves it and has had no problems with it, you've got about four or five people that have had problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are talking about that little Exoterra one? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 We bought one of those our very first time breeding, and then we returned it right away because, from what I'm understanding with you guys, you ran into the same problems with it. It doesn't fit very many clutches in it at all, and it tends to fail on you halfway through. I I just ordered the part to fix mine because I'm going to use it for gecko eggs because gecko eggs have a, you know, they got tolerance. If it if it if the temperature if the incubator goes, they're pretty good, you know, because it could hold the temperature for a day, a few hours before it starts mm-hmm. really dropping yep. in temperature. So, because, you know, I got this big albino, head albino female down here, and she's going to go, and I have no place to put them eggs but in that incubator I built. And that incubator I built is not big enough for a bunch of clutches or nothing. It's right. just a smaller right. one, so. Now, that yeah, brings me up to another gotta... thing. We all seem to want to use, we all seem to use a water cooler method, and the, we've all done the refrigerator method. Um, that brings me to my next question is, what do you like to do when you're breeding leopard geckos, Andrew? Do you like to, with your first clutch, do you like to go for males, and then for your second clutch, do you go for females, or do you like to always do it in between where you get a variety? This is Becky's tarot. This is Becky's uh, thing, so I'll let her answer this question. She's the gecko lady. But you guys will like my video tomorrow. you got to watch my video tomorrow about geckos. So. I like to keep them in between. That way I keep my options open of having like a 50-50 male to female ratio. But that's my personal preference. Yeah, see, and, and when I used to breed leopard geckos, I would do my first clutch, I'd go for females. My second clutch, I'd go for males. And then my third clutch is I would do the variety. But I do like the variety better because I, ha- I like, you know, there's no, and when, and another thing people got to remember, when you try to go for males or females, there's no guarantee that you're all, you're going it just increases oh, the yeah. percentage right. of male right. to female ratio. You can still get a mix. <laughs> Oh right. yeah. yeah, and that's what I like about it. Well, and then one thing I really is, wish we had that ability with ball pythons. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> See, the deal, the, the deal with awesome. the gecko eggs though is when you got a bigger collection like we do, uh, they're having eggs all the time, and you can't you can't right. have thirty different incubators go. And that's why I kind of stick with that 50-50. Yeah. Because then as I get more clutches, I can just put them in their new containers, just throw them in the same incubator with the other clutches I have. Well, see, that's what I was going to ask you. You guys use an incubator for your – see, I always put my leopard gecko's eggs in hatch right, and then I just threw them on top of my cages, and that kept the temperatures where I wanted it to be. Yeah. So do you prefer incubators or do you prefer the way like BHB did BHB does it and the way I do my leopard gecko eggs where I just throw them on top of the, the the hot spot on top of my cages and let that do it that way? Now see, I would do it that way if I lived in a warmer climate. But I live uh, in a climate that is so cold and an older house. So you yeah. can have a or room that has them- cold spots in it. You know? Oh yeah, there's no way you could. Yeah, I I've lived in some places here in North Dakota, and you have one little little crack in a window or something, and it'll drop your temperature inside the house ten degrees if you're not careful. 
My bedroom, for instance, I just shut my bedroom window because my temp in my bedroom dropped like 20 degrees in like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you so, guys yeah, live far north. I know a breeder that yeah. lives in uh, PA, and uh, he uh, puts his ball python eggs at the uh, top shelf in his actual snake room that's hot that incubates his ball python eggs. Yeah. See, now that that works because you can incubate ball python eggs now at like 86 degrees without having any problems. It just takes longer for right. them to mm-hmm. hatch out. See, because, you know, that's what they say to do if you're doing uh, going for the panda pies and stuff like that. Anything that has kinky yeah, problems or deformity problems, you incubate them at a cooler temperature. You know, but have they proved no, that out? Uh, I know some very, I have some very close friends that are higher breeders and mm-hmm. they breed hundreds and hundreds of clutches a year. And they'll tell you that if you breed them eggs, if you incubate those eggs at a lower temperature, mm-hmm. nine chances out of 10, they're all going to be fine. But if you breed them huh. at the 88 to 89 degree temperature, you're going to get right. kinks in the like panda pies and stuff like that. But if you do right. it at a cooler temperature, chances are they're going to be okay. You might, you know, you, if you got like, if you're breeding like a, like 20 panda pied eggs or whatever, you might get one or two that have a kink in it versus half or right. all. So yeah, it does work. <laughs> See, it's the genetics. There's so many genes in there that they're working together on top of uh, creating the animal inside the egg. And it's going too fast at a higher temperature, right. slower temperature mm-hmm. lets it work itself out and get work it together to get itself done. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that either. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. I've heard that. And I just didn't know if it was, how accurate I, it was. Oh, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> I, I, I do have to kind of jump in on that one. And it, it's kind of interesting, or it's interesting that the topic is being brought up because of one snake that I'm currently waiting to get in the mail. Now, he did, um, this would have been about two years ago, he did what he, it was his experiment clutch. Um, it was just a simple super phantom to a phantom breeding. Uh, he incubated he incubated the entire clutch at 83, at 83.5 degrees. Um, and in that clutch, he had nine eggs, and all nine eggs hatched. The first one pipped on day 61. The last egg pipped out at day 63. And he went back and he took of all his, all of his daily readings on it, um, I guess what he, what he said he ended up with um, for a temperature on average between the 60, 63 days was an on average temperature of eighty four point five. So and hmm. it, it was really cool because I followed I followed the incubation I I followed the whole thing with him um, and two. Two years later, he's sending me one of the females from that clutch. So I thought oh, that was a really that was a really yeah. cool. When you, when you talk about was, that temperature, I have um, there's a guy I talked to in Australia, and he does incubate his carpal pythons at 83 degrees, 83.5 degrees. 
and they yeah. take about 62 to 65 days to have doubt for him. Yeah. But he is yeah, successful. I, yeah. I think, I think more – I mean, of course, temperature is important, but I think the most important thing is consistency, you know. Yes. Keep, keep, keeping everything constant and, and everything. Yeah, you don't want no major drops or any major spikes in temperature in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. Now I got a question for you guys that you can you might be able to help me with with incubation. Do you guys use fans in your incubators, especially like your homemade ones? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I use yeah. uh I use a, a fan, circulating yes. fan in the water. So yeah. But it's yep. not an actual yep. fan, it's just something that circulates the water for my cooling incubator. I have one of them little desk fans. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it's not one of the desk fans you plug into your USB though. It's just one you'd plug into the wall, but it's a small fan. It's about four inches across. Would you say, hon? About four inches across. It's a little metal fan, and it does good. It circulates the air, and they're really good. And that's all I would use. Mm-hmm. You know, I got the small incubator. If you guys go back and look at my video I did on uh, building the incubator, it's a small one. But that's the only fan I would use right. even in a bigger incubator, because you don't, you know, that would circulate enough air in there. Yeah, it's yeah, like you're saying move the, the heat around to keep it more consistent. And that's that's important, yeah. like you guys are talking about, consistency. And that's why at almost every incubator, other than like the water cooler one that we all, that a lot of us use, like when you use a refrigerator or wine cooler, whatever it is, every incubator has a fan built in, and it helps circulate the air, helps move the heat around, because that makes it more consistent. And that's the most important thing when it comes to incubating is consistency and circulation, making sure, you know, you can't make it airtight either because if you don't get fresh air in there, right. you can suffocate the eggs, you I, know, carbon right. dioxide poisoning. Yeah. And I asked because my fan, my fan just went out on my incubator, so I have right now just a battery one operated in there, and I'm getting it fixed, right. and, my, and my clutch just hatched. We're going to put out a video next week on it where they all came out, and I was lucky that nice. when the fan going out, I had all the <laughs> eggs that uh, – that hatched out and all the babies came out fine, so I was very happy to see that. Congratulations! Oh, well, I added, um, I added uh, the the computer fan controller to mine because um, I was getting a lot of dead spots in it, so uh, temperature variances. So basically, I got two PC uh, 200 CFM um, fans and um, with a high RPM with them really turned up I took different tubs and thermostats and sat different tubs in different thermostats all through the uh, incubator and with thermostats inside of the tubs as well and with, with a higher flow the temperatures stayed perfect on every level of the incubator even down by my uh, I got uh, 20 two liter bottles uh, filled with water and uh, it's a huge uh, um, wine chiller it's over six foot oh nice have any of you guys seen Olympus Reptiles uh, have any of you guys seen Matt from Olympus Reptiles incubator yes yes yeah Yeah. Yeah, he He's got a big Got refrigerator. Big 
Yeah. But in the bottom two drawers, the crisper drawers or whatever they are, he fills them with just plain <laughs> water and has no top on. He has right. the heat tape underneath it. So it's not like yours, Marshall, but it's close yeah. because he's, you know, he lets it fill yeah, up with humidity. And, water. Yeah. and water bottles water. are important to add to your incubators like that. Absolutely. And your refrigerator incubators. Yeah. Uh, Marshall, what's that? Why do you use like water bottles? Marshall don't have an incubator like that. He has a... Uh, oh, it, he has a water cooler one, duh. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. use water bottles to help to bring the temperature back up quicker. Yep. Yeah. yeah so when you, yep. when you open the door and you close it again, it heats right. up real quick. Yeah, it kind of maintains that temperature pretty easy. Right. Yeah. And, and I'll take uh, once a week or so, I'll open the door and close it a bunch of times and just let... Me, Fresh air come in and old air just exit, just circulate it yep. out, and then it bounces I do the back same thing. in seconds. Yeah, yeah we so, do the same thing. Absolutely, yeah. You know, if they can't breathe yep. and they're going to die, they're not going to grow. Yeah. Now, a real quick question, uh, uh, Jay, in the in in your incubator that you have set up, uh, the substrate that you're using in the in the egg boxes, do you have any water added to that substrate? Uh yeah like yeah I put when I when I when I create the egg boxes when I create the nest boxes I use ecorps and sphagnum moss now when I first do it I do it about three weeks out before they're due okay and yep. then yep. what I do there is I saturate it really moist not overly moist but really create a real humid environment um yep. and then that'll dry out and then as it dries out I'm able to control my humidity much better because I'm able to spray the sphagnum moss down or not spray it down, depending on what my eggs are telling me and what my humidity gauge is telling me on that. Yeah. You know, okay. so it it allows me to play around with it. And and that's why I'm saying the maternal incubation, for me, I love to do. But like I said, when it comes to ball pythons and other clutches, I don't think maternal incubation, in my opinion, is the way to go just because, you know, it can it, – it is so – tedious and it, it it's it's time consuming and when you have ball pythons you know it's i just i don't think ball pythons is they're the best, are good to right. maturity right i just i just don't no. now my question is yeah. for you guys when going back to maturity versus size you know when i first got into carpets every breeder i talked to says, wait until that female is at least three years of age. Now, there's no guarantee she's going to breed for you. But every breeder I talk to says it. They never, that's one thing I find interesting about ball pythons that I don't find in any other snake. Um, but not once has a carpet python breeder told me about how much my carpet python should weigh to breed. It's all about maturity. So right. I've never understood the whole, let's make sure my snake weighs this much to breed. It's like, what happened to waiting three or four years to get that female up to size, why the rush? I think I think the rush came in with ball pythons in particular because I mean ball pythons they they really had an explosion in popularity, and with that in, explosion of popularity came in your big breeders who were who were trying to rush the process, so to speak. So what, it, what, it, what is a, a if, if you're trying to match 
produce the product, what are you going to try and do? Well, you're going to try and speed up the process, and you're going to preach that information about getting these these females up. And I, I that's what I, I I really truly kind of pin all of that on is that it it just got to a point where more and more people were trying to get them out, so they were trying to rush the process. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. See, another thing is is um, with the age is very important. Like with blood pythons too, they they preach age over size. You know, age is yeah, more yeah. important. But now, when you get into the colubrids, like the 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 pink snakes and stuff like that, they used to try that too. Say, wait three years or whatever. But my opinion with colubrids is totally different because I that's my main thing. I've been doing that for since when they first started breeding king snakes and a king snake would go, uh, an albino king snake was $200. Um, my opinion on them is definitely size because they got to be like a few hundred grams for a king snake. But now the hognose snake, you know, they try to say they got to be 225 to 250 grams. Well, again, in the wild, like I was telling you guys last week in the wild, they they double clutch at 150 uh, grams in the wild. Now I don't know how well that would work in uh, captivity, captivity or whatever, because I turn around and I make sure that they're 250 grams before I breed them, just to be on the safe side. But there are studies that 100% show. They even show it on film. 150 to 160 grams. They have double clutches every year in the wild right. that are being monitored by scientists. Yeah, See, well, and I think that's just incredible. Yeah, and, and and I know I have blood pythons. And is anybody else hearing somebody making it sound like they're nursing, like a suckling noise? <laughs> Am I the only one hearing that? I'm catching it. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear it too. I can hear it right now. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know who's I nursing a baby, but no. please stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not nursing. Stop it. But if I'm not talking, when it comes to blood pythons. Oh, <laughs> when it comes to blood pythons, you know, I got mine from Ed, which everybody knows I got mine from Ed. Lee. And the one thing he told me is he has, he has, he does know people. And I do know people that have gotten their females and males breeding by three years old. But the average from every blood python breeder I've talked to says it's four to five years. And so anytime you get in the blood, you know, it's going to be a long wait. Yeah. It's you can't rush it. It's the same thing with bread lies. Bread lies they take about four to five years before they'll breed. Well, if yeah. you try to I rush a, a friend blood here, python, have... it's going to get really fat. <laughs> yeah, that's what my yeah. friend here in Ontario says. Same thing. They got to be four to five years, and they got to be chunky in order for them to produce properly the blood pythons. Yeah. Right. So, what are you saying? The women have to be fat? No, no, we're not going down oh, that path, are we, guys? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> now, First no, that's a different topic altogether. <laughs> okay, now, I've bred bearded dragons, and you guys, you guys, I, you know, we all breed different things. We, and I know, Andrew, your experience is vast. Now, when I breed bearded dragons, and I'm just throwing this out there to see what you guys' opinions are on different things, too, here. Okay, you got to remember, bearded dragons lay between 12 and 35 to 38 eggs per clutch, okay? And they take anywhere from about 20 to 40 days to hatch. Now, what do you guys do 
Now, when I used to be breed guys, I used to always make sure, for me, I'd have 40 small tubs ready to go, even though I wasn't going to have that many, but just in case. What are your guys' protocol for getting your setup ready for babies? You know, are you do you plan ahead, or do you just go, oh, well, I'll wing it? Oh, no, I've... I've got I've got well my one clutch currently uh we've got four, six, eight, nine nine eggs and I have I have twenty tubs sitting there ready to go. <laughs> That's smart. So, yeah, I mean I, so, I I just wanna have stuff laying around ready to go so I can I can you know, they can go from the incubator when they're ready to come out and they're and everything, and then they're into their tub. Okay, guys, we have a caller on the line. I'm, I, I meant to say Hi, caller. Do you have any questions? How are you tonight? How can I help you? How are you, sir? Good. What you We're doing today? good. What's that? What's going on? Nothing. Well, we're talking about reptiles. I think I would like to shower with you. We can do it in the shower, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Just to our regulars, I am making a do not answer list, and I have that number on the do not answer, so they can just sit on hold for the whole well, show. So, so we got that number written down. We, we're getting smarter. We're writing the numbers down so we know who to answer who not to answer. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and for 20, 40 days. If they go past 45, get them to a vet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why I said they take 20 to 40 days to hatch. I was like, my brain was racking, but I'm like, wait a minute. I was also I had that side note written down. If you're if you have a beer drive that's and it goes past forty five days, get that thing to a vet. What are your guys' protocols for something that's past due that isn't going yet? Ours, ours is a vet for sure. We do the same thing. If it's gone too long, I'll take it to a vet because I don't know much more past the the normal timelines, and then I start to panic. Yeah, I. Uh... I have to, I have to, uh, let's see, I got an hour and a half drive to a vet. So, oh. So I Where have do you to go, Marshall? Where would you go, Marshall? Because I, I know how far I would have to drive. Yeah, well, my first call is to uh, the zoo here in town. But now okay. they can't, they, they, they have uh, their protocols. And they have their guidelines. They can't. They can't treat my ass. So my first call is to the zoo vet. She'll give me some, you know, best opinions, and then I'm off to Bismarck. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have to have. I've got. I've got the uh, the vet there in Bismarck. I got her phone number down, and yeah. Hope and pray okay, I can make guys, it now. Okay, we got another caller. I'm going to answer this one. This is a different number, and if it's the same guy, we're not answering no more phone calls this today. Okay? Well, I don't know. That was kind of fun. Well, there you go. Kind of fun. No, no. All right, here we I go. I am Christine. How can I help you? Computer predators. Oh. Yeah, I got it off because he was saying something. I didn't even hear what he was saying. <laughs> 
It almost sounds computer generated. Yeah, I was yeah, that's say, why. Here in a computer generated voice. Yeah, no, I won't answer no more phone calls because there's a little symbol that comes up. Did you notice it on this? Yeah, the question mark next to it. So we know when a question mark comes up to it, we know not to answer it no more. So, um, yeah. I didn't know there was, you know, I didn't even know. I thought the closest vet for a reptile uh, was in Fargo. The, um, the, the one in Bismarck, um, let me, I got to get her card here. Um, but, yeah, what she does is she consults with the Fargo vet. So, oh, well, I know my, going, my, my local. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so you're going. What we would be doing is going to see a vet who's on a conference call with the cargo vet. Yeah. Now, my vet here, um, like if I took my animal in and I thought there was something wrong with it, he would ask me, because I've already talked to him about it, what I would think I would, like, what would have to be done to fix it or whatever. And then he calls a vet in Fargo or whatever to concur with them. You know, to yep. make sure, but he he's got backup vets that he calls, but he'll do it in his yep. office locally. So that's only, you know, a short distance away. Half hour away. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so now for me, I call my vet. I'm sorry, somebody was talking to me. I interrupt. Yeah. Go ahead. I just wanted real quick, Andrew. Um, if you want to give them a call, it's it's the Heart River Animal Hospital. Uh, okay. The veterinarian is Dr. Kraft, and she, I, I've spoken to her, and she knows like my situation, how far I am away, or whatever. So I, I've got her email address and everything like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, I'm sorry, Jay. I kind of interrupted you. Oh, no, because and the reason why I'm asking is because I just went through that with my albino girl. She went into labor, and she had I, I had been 24 hours. Now, I was lucky, you know, my I have a veterinarian, Dr. Bleem, um, and I had him notified, and so he knew the situation. But I also reached out to experienced keepers, and I was lucky Stephen Katz helped me through it, and he told me to put some olive oil down there and see if that helped her able to push and it did she was able to push it out after that and but just in case i i have a veterinarian on standby dr blame and it's really nice because he has a local vet office here but he also goes up to the university of champaign so his knowledge is very vast and i think that's a benefit to someone like myself in the city as opposed to you guys where you guys live out in the middle of nowhere so it's probably <laughs> oh, yeah. harder to get assistance well you yeah. know like in your situation there, Jay, when, when, when it was stuck, could you see the egg at all? Yes, yes, yes. See, what now, it was see, I, see now, I have, uh, I would aspirate that egg, you know, but I could see why you were trying to save it. But I, I, if it was stuck, I would aspirate it because I know from experience that if an egg gets stuck for over a certain amount of time, it will not make it anyway. Oh, I, and, I didn't think the egg was going to make it. Yeah, yeah. I would have aspirated it myself. Yeah, See, and I thought about that, that, but I was worried about doing that without having 
it was going to be done if she didn't pass it, but I was, I was going to have my vet do it because okay. he was going to have a suction thing to help suck the fluid and make sure, you know, nothing happened. Because the thing you got, you do have to worry about that. And my vet told me that, and so did Stephen. Is if there were more eggs in her umbilical, her her fallopian tube, that I forget yeah. the word to use, is twisted mm. up. You can call it can cause issues. With other eggs farther back. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. So, Jay, like when when you were going, to, how, how did that whole process go then? Uh, um, you you could see some of the egg, and then what did you use to apply the olive oil? Uh, I just use a, 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 a Q-tip um, and just gently massage your area and massage around it. And then I just put it a little bit, you know, where it was opened around in there. And then as soon as I did that, within 15 minutes, she pushed it out. Okay. Um, so you didn't, if it you went didn't past the half hour, I was on my way to the vet. Okay. But you didn't have to assist the egg out in any way other than the olive oil. Right. Now, Jay, oh, I think question. more than anything, she just got tired. Okay. Here's a question for you, Jay. Now, your vet said that could affect eggs further up. Now, would that affect eggs further up if you aspirated it and some of the fluids went inside of her? Is that what you were talking about? No, I, he's just meaning like the fluids. People can ask for eggs and it ain't no big deal. But his concern, being a vet, is he's always worried about infection of the animal because what if she had a tear in her lining and things like that, and then that gets in her bloodstream. So it's more of a case of why I have seen people do it and they're fine. You know, Doctor Bleem was advising me, you know, bring it in because. Just for precaution, not because you can't okay. do it, but for precaution. And I definitely take that more serious when it comes to my animals because they are so important to me. So, yeah, would that vet trip cost me probably four or five hundred bucks? Yes, but is it worth it? Yes. See, I have a, a a whole medical kit with syringes in it. When I aspirate an egg, I would not cut it. I would suck all the stuff out of the egg myself. That's what I do. How many times have you guys had this happen? I've had it happen once. Over the years. This once. Um, I was wondering what the frequency of it is happening. Well, I could tell you this. With king snakes, people tell you, don't leave a bowl of water in there. Because if you leave a bowl of water in there, they'll lay the eggs in the water. But if you remove the water, that's when it happens because... They need all that extra fluid they can have in their body at all times. A lot of people even take uh, just water out of the – when they're getting ready to lay, they'll take water bowls out. I recommend you don't do that for any snake due to the fact they need that extra water to push that out because the fluid yeah. is very important. Hydration. Sounds, sounds logical. Yeah. Yeah. Now, would you right, cover the water, Andrew, and then just put holes in it? What's that? Would you cover the water and then just put holes in it to let the humidity still come out instead of removing no, would, the water? No, no, no. I leave it in there so they can drink it. They have to be able to drink it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Hey guys, I'm giving you your 15-minute warning. And remember, if anybody's out there, the people who are listening, 
if we if we're still talking and the show goes off, you can go back and listen to it because it'll it'll save the show what we've been talking about. It don't end until I hit end, but it just goes off the air at a certain time. I've never had it happen with leopard geckos. I had it happen once with carpet pythons. Um, I have had it happen twice with bearded dragons that I bred. The female went past one female went 45 days. The other female went past. 44 days, and I had to take them in and have the eggs removed. And once that happens with those female beer dragons, I never bred them female breeder dragons again. No, they're, um, they're that happens with a lot when when that when they go that long and you have to have them surgically removed. I personally, yeah. if I had to do that, I would never breed that animal again. Keep it. Yeah, as a I pet. never used them females. They were just kept as pets from there on on out. Um, I've never had that problem with chameleons either when I've, I've bred chameleons, my panther chameleons. Um, I've bred nosy bees, and I never had any issues with that. Um, but, you know, you talk about a long time waiting for eggs. <laughs> chameleons. Oh, the panther chameleons take forever. Not to lay or to hatch? To hatch. I know that really? I don't know what chameleon I don't know what chameleon it is, but there is a chameleon out there when they lay their eggs, it takes nine months for them to hatch. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. I would go nuts that's in nine crazy. months. I go nuts just in sixty days, I long nine months. <laughs> Try to be a woman and be and another thing, if you if anybody out there is saying about bringing chameleons, understand this. You know, a female when you know she has her clutches. You're a female that lays eggs like that in chameleons. You, they're it shortens their lifespan. They don't live near as long when you breed a female chameleon. Um, it's not like that with snakes, but it's definitely like that with chameleons. So that's that's another downside when I bred chameleons. That was another reason why I stopped breeding them is because I would get these beautiful females and just knowing I was shortening the lifespan for me it wasn't worth it anymore. Now what is the typical uh, lifespan? Um in captivity, um they can live, you know the longest I've had one live uh, was a male and he lived to be um just almost seven years, but the average is about five years, but some can live, you know, up to seven years. Okay. Um so that's that's a thing, and and when you sit there and a female when you breed, she might once she gets up the breed size, you might only have it two maybe three years max after she has her first litter, and you breed her, you know, three years in a row, and that's about all you're going to get out of her. It shortens her lifespan a little bit in captivity. Um, yeah. So it just I just I always hated losing females, you know, and it just it just got too depressing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. D Y. Yeah. Hey, can I can I make a, a little newbie point here for in case we got any newbies that are listening also, like myself? Sure. This this is Bill. Um what I highly recommend to people, I, even at the shows when I'm bending, people ask me, Do you have any breeders? And I'm like, Yeah, but I'm they're not for sale because you'll see, you know, tables that have the larger ball pythons and stuff. And they're wanting to jump into it. And I just want to let everybody know that I had my snakes for two and a half years before I got a breeder size female up to size. And I think it's good for us new people to have your snakes 
take care of them, learn everything you can at least for a year and a half so you know your snake's requirements and get used to them before you jump in and start breeding. I, I have to agree, Bill. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think yeah. about that? Well, I agree I with agree you, Bill, because one thing I've learned Oh, sorry. One thing I've learned is a lot of breeders who are bigger breeders, when they put breeder-sized animals up for sale, a lot of them breeders uh-huh. went from producing like five or six eggs for ball pythons down to producing one egg a year. That's why they're getting it out of their system, out of their rid of them, right. rid of it, right. so they don't have this female that only produces one egg or she slugs out every year after a while because age does affect them. Yeah, because I've got people that will message me, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Take care of the first two you have right now for at least a year and a half and learn your animals and, you know, get your temperatures. Make sure you got everything stable. Then you can get into breeding. I just, you know, learn your animals and learn everything you can. So we always offer our smallest ones to people first before we would ever mention an adult only for the same yeah. reason is make sure you've got your husbandry right. Make sure that you know what you're doing. Make sure you want to make the commitment to owning this animal for a certain amount of years and start breeding and getting into babies right away. Yeah. We always try to sell, we always try to sell them smaller and younger first. Right. I like, agree. Sure you guys get that a lot. And, too, you know, what can I make for this? You know, <laughs> right. yeah. And I'll play devil's advocate here. I'll go the opposite way of that. I have, I'll say there's no problem with buying if a new person is getting into it and they want to start breeding right away. I think it's excellent if they can get uh, a breeder sized male or female and start breeding, you know, to start, you know, going on that learning curve. You know, um, do I think you should always do that? No. But do I think it's, it's a bad thing? Not necessarily. It just depends on the individual, you know, their commitment and, you know, what they're wanting out of it. If you're thinking you're going to get rich out of breeding snakes, um, there's a reason why Brian Barczak, you know, you know, back in the day when he was one of the world's largest ball python breeders, he wasn't driving a Bugatti. So if you're thinking you're going to get in this to make tons of money, you're in the wrong business. You can't what are you saying, out. Jay? Damn. That's what I got in there for. How are we going to have a Bugatti? <laughs> I'm, I'm selling everything tomorrow. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I'm out. <No>. Bye. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to start reading. I think that's job. a misconception. I think some people think they're going to make a ton of money at this right away, and they'll want to buy it that way. But if you go into this, you know, the smart way and know that I'm not going to make a ton of You can make a ton of money out of it. I'm not saying you can't. But, you know, being a first-time breeder, you're not going to make a ton of money. You're going to you're going to spend more money feeding, housing, buying, you know, new enclosures, buying snakes. You'll spend more money by the time you have the clutch than you would make it. Exactly. One thing I that Exactly. If you're new to breeding reptiles and ball pythons and if you're not losing money, then, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I, I have to say that yeah. I – I enjoy just producing the animals. I like hatching them out, looking at them, and I hate to see them go. But like when I did all my a few years ago, when Becky did all those geckos, she was what selling like two hundred a month or something. I was like, what the heck? You get kind of miss them. No, no, you don't. Yeah, yeah and 
there's another thing that noobs got to that that noobs got to remember. A lot of people say, "Oh, well, my male won't breed." You know, so you know, it's not that your male won't breed. It's is the a lot of that also depends on the female. You know, especially with egg laying females. You know, is the female is her follicles ready? Is she you know is she ready to be fertilized? Is she giving you symptoms that says, "Hey, I'm ready to breed," and if she's not, your male will not be interested in that female. You know, and then you have to take it from the other side of that. Why isn't your male maybe not want to breed? Well, a lot of it can also come down to, you know, environmental changes. When you go from one place to another, that's what, that's what, it's got to get used to your setup, you know. And yeah. then you also have to take consideration into elevation changes, you know, air pressure changes, barometer pressure changes, and then you also have to know – and then you go beyond one step beyond that, and that would be what's your setup? You know, how is your setup running and things like that. And I think that's a misconception is a lot of people buy these females also thinking they're going to be ready to breed, but they're coming into a new environment. Their cycle, the way the breeder that had them before you, might be running them on a different cycle. So you're trying to get them to breed in May to where this breeder had them breeding in October. Yeah. And so now okay, that guys. female is not yeah. used to your cycle. All right, so many good points minutes. there. Uh, yeah, I would. I, I personally would never bring like a female adult breeder sized snake in my in my uh, my snake room and expect anything from that because well, I don't know about you guys, but my entire room is ambient. I run entire ambient. I don't. I'm not running belly heat on any of my snakes. So, okay, yeah. So That's interesting. More often, than, more often than not, my setup is completely different from where that snake is coming from. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. You so, know, that might be a subject for next how week. You find it? Yeah, that's a good topic for next week, ambient versus uh, belly. 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 I keep yeah, my yeah. ambient room temperature at about... 82-ish degrees. Yeah. But it fluctuates because it's the basement. And um, I, when I get the other room set up over here, I'm sure I'll be able to control the ambient temperature better than I can. But I also run a belly hit strip down there, belly heat of about 86 degrees, so that that way if they want to come into the front of the tub, they will. If they don't, they will hang out on the heat. Well, but that's a good yeah, I'm in the same position too. Absolutely, I like that one. Yeah, yeah I will set that. I set it up. And then it would be good. In the room right now, sweating. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, be like know. because of uh, like we all live in different parts of the country too. too. Yeah. Yeah, that will be a good topic. So, everybody, <laughs> want to give a shout out for their channels? Um, I'll start off with uh, Ed and work my way down. Not Ed. Ed ain't even here. Uh, Bill, we'll start with you and work our way down. I'm sorry, Bill. <laughs> uh, yeah, BC Python, Instagram, Facebook, and of course YouTube. Okay, uh, Jay, you want to give your channel a shout out? Yeah. Um, actually, you know what? No, I'm gonna give Mad Bio a shout out. Make sure you guys go check out Mad Bio Reptiles. He's a there popular you. guy oh, in the community very good that does channel. lots of good things. Yes. Yes, so yes, I'm going to yes. give him a shout-out. Check him out. Uh, He's on YouTube and Instagram, Mad Bio Reptiles. 
Marshall, you want to give a shout out for your two channel or your, you know, you can give a channel out for your for your channel too. Again, Jay, no big deal. But um, Marshall, you want to give yourself a shout out there, buddy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Marshall Law Morph. Uh, that's all the way around on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and that good stuff. And then uh, don't forget to go check out that. That boxing boa guy on YouTube. I think he's, on. <laughs> he's got a lot oh, yeah. of boxing. Yeah. Tag team sexy. I heard. I heard he's got he a never goes channel. live or anything though. That's my problem with boxing boa. I wish he'd go yeah. live. <laughs> he needs to do it a little more often. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, three going lives in one day just ain't enough. I don't think. Well, yeah, three, three in one day. We need a league Come on. <laughs> I, guys, I, I love going live because it, it allows me to interact with my audience on a much more personal level. And just so you guys know, Beer Dragons, they take about 60 to 65 days to hash out of their, out of their eggs. Well, it makes my day when I can open my eyes and my phone says, Boxing Bell Alive. I'm like, cha-ching, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, KB Reptiles, you want to give yourself a shout-out there for your channel and stuff? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, definitely. Uh, KB Reptiles on uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, Chucky Mad Bio, for sure. That's a great shout-out to do. And all these guys here on this podcast, guys, check them out. I love your channels. Thank you very much for including me in this. Oh, yeah, no problem. I have sure. to agree with uh, Chucky there with uh, Mad Bio Reptiles. Uh, Becky, you want to give a shout-out there? Yeah, I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to give a shout-out to, sure. to Ed at CNC Reptiles. And I also want to give a shout-out to Slashmith. 1989. I always get this wrong. Oh my god. 1989. 1989. Yeah. Just my man, okay? Uh, Python Burrow, you want to give yourself a shout out there, buddy? Uh, yes. Uh, the Python Burrow um, at uh, YouTube, Instagram. Um, I even uh, started the new, uh, what is it, uh, Vero. Um, I got a Facebook. Um, also, you know, want to give a shout out to you know Ed. You know, he's needs some subscribers. I mean, he's got a great channel, a lot of good oh, animals yeah, over there. Ed at CMC, yeah, I don't understand. He he's got so of such a variety of animals. He keeps them at in perfect condition. It's amazing, and he only has like a hundred and some subscribers. You guys got to go hit his channel up. Yeah, 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 yeah it's crazy. Oh, by the way, I am having a subscriber giveaway at 1,200 subscribers on Boxing YouTube. You can, you will get three tarantulas from me, and another one will get another tarantula donated by Area Rathnids. Very good. Subscribers, I'm giving away a caramel carpet python. Very good. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love you guys. You guys 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 make me laugh. Oh, yeah. I'll be here next okay. week for sure. I definitely, oh, definitely yeah. love yeah. this. And you thank you guys all for doing week. this. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe next forget. week I won't mess up the intro. <laughs> don't forget <laughs> DEA Exotics, too. Make oh, sure you guys go and check them out. <laughs> and oh, you yeah. can shower with DEA. them. <laughs> 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 I'll have to build a bigger shower for all of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Python, bro, are you going to be here next week, too, then? 
Yeah, I'm going to try. Um, okay. I uh, just remembered I remembered I was doing so much stuff. I actually feed on Saturdays, so I think uh, last week um, I got a little distracted <laughs> with some females oh, that are – I got a lot, a lot of ones okay. that aren't eating because they're getting ready to ovulate, but I definitely want to be here next week. Sure. Did I forget anybody? Yeah, I don't don't think I forgot anybody. Oh, you forgot to invite our eccentric uh, call-ins back. Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, More than welcome anytime. You know what? I I could put your phone number out there. It's 918-696-2788 is their phone number. You guys can call them and talk to them if you guys want to have a talk like that. You guys forget that their phone number, you can call in and say that to me, but your phone number comes up on you. So I'll just give it out for everybody to call and talk to you. Nice. Set up shower, nice. you know? I'm like, I got to go take a shower now. Uh, that's why we're called reptile bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to take a shower, Bill? Go call that guy. He, he's looking for somebody to take a shower with. I'll give yep. his number again. It's uh, yeah. 918-696. I'm sweating like a bad egg here. I need to go shower. Yep. All right, guys. I want to thank everyone for calling in. This was a great conversation. I love you all. And peace. Have a great night. Thanks, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Stay blessed. Yep, everybody. Later. Take care, guys. Later.